0: we're going to be reading from John 4, chapter 1 to 26. It's on page 862 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. I'll give you a moment to open up. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you, you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
1: People often assume that because the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible were written by men, that they marginalise women. But if you read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll find the opposite is true. They don't marginalise women, but Jesus takes women from the margins and draws them close to him. We see this in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus commends the faith of a Canaanite woman after he's just had a confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem. We see it in Mark's Gospel, when Jesus heals a chronically bleeding woman who has said to herself, If I could just touch his garments, I will be made whole, and calls her his daughter. We see it in Luke's Gospel from beginning to end when the good news of Jesus is first revealed to a low-income teenage girl from a podunk town who goes on to become Jesus's mother and a prophet of his birth. We see it as Luke names multiple women as eyewitnesses of Jesus's ministry. We see it when he holds up a sinful woman of the city as a moral example to a self-righteous man. We see it when he commends a poor widow for having given more than all the rich people have been throwing into the temple offering. We see it in John's Gospel, when Jesus has his longest private recorded conversation with a Samaritan woman with a colourful sexual history. And when he says some of his most extraordinary, powerful words to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. We see it in all four Gospels, as they present to us women as witnesses of Jesus's crucifixion and as the first witnesses of Jesus's resurrection. The Gospels don't marginalise women. They invite us to look at Jesus through marginalised women's eyes.
2: Friends, good evening. Uh, We start the series in the evening, uh, Jesus through the eyes of women. And we started last Sunday morning, in fact, um, and the sermon I did last Sunday morning we'll do in about three weeks' time because we had Matt's ordination last week. Uh, So hopefully he feels more spiritual this week, the Reverend Matthew White, uh, duly ordained. But I want to just take you for a moment to the Downing uh, Centre local court in Liverpool, where people go to be tried for various cases. And I was there a number of years ago, and I, I was there not because I was in trouble, you'll be thankful to know. I was there as a witness. And uh, while you sit in these courts, I tell you it's a scary place. Because you have people who are angry, people who look frightened, others looking lost, others weeping because they're about to face a judge and they may end up in jail. And uh, many have lived a hard life, and there was a woman who came up and started to have a conversation with me. While others were quietly uh, minding their own business, she wanted to engage in conversations. She told me about her life, her many hurts. She was divorced. She had abused alcohol. She had committed serious crimes. She was hoping the judge would be lenient upon her and not send her to jail. But she wanted to go overseas so she could pick up her kids who were now staying with their father in another country. It was a messy, messy life. You can see even as she spoke that she was spiritually empty. Although she did say, well, I like to read the Psalms, and I used to have a connection with church, and I drop in every so often. Someone who knew a, a little bit about the love of God, but was caught up in a difficult, empty life. I reminded her that God loved her, and I prayed for her, and told her that God could make a difference in her life if she came to him and surrendered to him. A few years later, I was at the Sutherland Courthouse. I don't hang out at the courthouses too often, but every so often. But I had a local fellow, he was a Greek guy, needed some food and he found out I was Greek as well so he rang me and so I took some food to him and a bit later he got caught up in a, in a court case and he said I can't get there because he couldn't drive and he couldn't catch the train so I drove him to court and he called me his angel, Are oh, you like that? Angelo, angel, you get it? <laughs> and so, but he doesn't just say that to me but I mean... Hanging around outside waiting for him to go in. And you turn up at nine o'clock. You often don't go in until two or three. And there are other people hanging around outside. There was this Greek lady. And he went up to her and said, oh, you should come and meet my angel. He's been looking after me. He can help you too. And there's this woman, spiritually hungry, lost, needy, without friends. And when I spoke to her about Jesus and love and acceptance and welcome, her face lit up like she needed to hear a message like that, that someone could make a difference in her life. And I shared the gospel with her, the death of Christ, his resurrection, his grace, his offer of forgiveness. In fact, that he takes people from the margins and brings them in into his family. And she said to me, she said, am I allowed to come to your church? Where is it? Am I allowed? Yes, you're most welcome. Everyone is welcome to come to hear about God. And she said, will Jesus forgive me for what I've done? said, yes, he will. When you come to him, he can make a difference. Friends, some lives are really tough. And the critic James Huneker wrote, life is like an onion. You peel off layer after layer and you find there is nothing in it. Well, nothing except tears, perhaps. I think the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4 would have agreed with that sentiment. She lived a difficult life. Happiness had eluded her. She was chasing it one relationship after another, one marriage after another. It didn't seem to come her way. You see, unfortunately for her, life didn't get any better. She was empty and looking for hope, looking for meaning. And there are many like her today. Maybe you're like that in here. You come tonight and you think, well, I'm not happy. I feel empty, spiritually empty, emotionally empty, psychologically empty. You don't know where your life is going and you're looking for something. Friends, the good news is that in John chapter 4... Jesus meets this woman and in one conversation, her life is transformed. She was not expecting it to happen that day. She just turned up to get her water in the middle of the day. Why in the middle of the day? Because no one liked her. You'd normally go in the morning, that's when all the other women would go. But not this woman with the five husbands and the man she is living with is not her her husband, not her. She would not go there, she would not be shamed in front of others. But in the middle of the day... She meets Jesus and her life is transformed. Friends, Jesus was on a mission from God, verse 4. The Bible says there and uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, it may mean simply that from the south in, in Jerusalem, going to the north in Galilee, he goes through Samaria. That's correct. Samaria's in the middle. But often Jews, religious Jews, would not go through Samaria because they didn't have a good relationship with Samaritans. They'd go around Samaria and back into the north. And you need to listen into to the cues in the Gospels. When they say Jesus had to go through Samaria, he may be saying a little bit more. He had to go through Samaria because in God's sovereign plan, there was a woman in Samaria, alone, in the middle of the day, with no friends, There was a woman there that Jesus had come from heaven to go and meet to transform her life. He was on a mission from God. He had to go there. A woman on the margins that was going to be drawn in to God's kingdom. And Jesus then engages in a forbidden conversation with this woman. Verses 8 and 9. Move to the next one. Great, thanks. This is when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The woman is stunned, perplexed, shocked that a man is speaking to her and a Jewish man is speaking to her while she is alone. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Friends, Jesus has clearly ignored two key embedded social conventions of his day and entered into a forbidden conversation. Jesus breaks conventions of his day all the time because he has come not to fulfill or follow conventions but to make a difference in the lives of men and women. Firstly, he was ignoring the hatred which had kept Jews and Samaritans in mutually exclusive communities. As John put it, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were were a mixed breed. They were people who used to be Jewish but they'd been intermarried with foreigners after an exile and so the people in the south, in Judea, were the pure Jews and they saw these people as half-castes, half-breeds. They weren't authentic and they followed a slightly different Bible. They only had the trusted in the first five books of the Bible as well. But more than that, these Samaritans, instead of going to Jerusalem to worship, they built their own temple in Mount Gerizim. That comes up a little bit later. It's a rival temple that was later destroyed. Jews and Samaritans don't talk, they don't eat together, they don't pour water for each other, they don't take water out of the well for each other. But secondly, uh, Jesus was ignoring popular opinion which disapproved of any respectable Middle Eastern man having a private conversation with a woman in public. In a rabbinic citation, this is what it says. One should not talk with a woman on the street, nor even with his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife, because of the gossip of men. Someone else said, it is forbidden to give a woman any greeting, can't even say hello, going down the street in that first century period of time. Men, stay away from women, don't confuse things, don't let anyone make any accusations, say nothing. But friends, Jesus ignores conventions, as I said, and he offers forgiveness to men and women. That's why he's come. And I think it's an important lesson for us here, Sometimes we don't mix with certain types of people as if they are less than us. Maybe sometimes people don't treat you as valuable. Let me say today that whoever you are, we've got a mixture of ages from teenagers to to young adults to uh, some of us in our 40s and 50s, some beyond. And some of us are brighter than others, some of us are prettier than others, some of us have more money than others. Some could be unemployed. Some could be divorced. Some could be unmarried parents. And sometimes we are judged by others because of who we are, what our background is. When I see Jesus engaging with Samaritan woman, he just tells me this, and I think it's expressed what someone had said already on that board this morning, that Jesus sees who I am despite my failings and he loves me and he wants me part of his family. I want you to remember that. You know, uh, a few years ago... uh, I was invited to speak at a church in the eastern suburbs and then soon afterwards at their church camp for a weekend. And there was a uh, young couple there, probably in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s. They came to me and they said, we want to tell you our story. And I said, uh, the fellow said, I used to be homeless on the streets in Darlinghurst and King's Cross. And, said, and the woman said, I used to sell my body for money on the streets. But there was a Christian ministry in King's Cross Christians were offering food and tea and coffee and friendship to people on the streets. And we turned up there and we met each other there. But we didn't only meet each other there, we met Jesus there. We found that someone loved us, was willing to forgive us to start to transform our lives. And this church that we are part of, these people then, uh, we got involved with them and then they loved us. They cared for us. Uh, They they helped us to get married. In fact, uh, they said it was the church that put on the wedding and the wedding feast afterwards in one of the homes. said so they, they really showed the love of Christ to us. We just want to tell you that Jesus makes all the difference. We were lost, we were empty, we were broken. And now we're part of God's family. I see Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And it tells me it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, you're loved by God. But then Jesus starts to uh, go deeper with this woman. She offers living water. Jesus answered her, Wow, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. Does she get it? No, said the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can we get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She's still thinking physical. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. What's going on in the mind of this woman as she hears this? Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual emptiness, how we can fill our lives. She's still thinking physically. How does this woman see Jesus at this point? Well, she doesn't yet perceive Jesus' glory, he's still simply a weary and thirsty Jewish traveller. She doesn't get him yet. She'll get him soon, but not yet. Various spiritual allusions to living water in the Bibles. Uh, Don Carson writes the water here is the satisfying eternal life mediated by the Spirit that only Jesus, the Messiah and Savior of the world, can provide. That's why Isaiah says in 55, chapter 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters that you may live. And the Bible uses that illusion of living water, life water that brings life and satisfaction. It says, come to Jesus and find it. This woman is empty She has so much need that even though he speaks of spiritual things to her, she doesn't get it. Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician and physicist and inventor, philosopher and Catholic writer from the 1600s said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. we are created for a relationship with God. We are created to to know God, to follow God, to, to find our joy in Him. We have an emptiness inside of us that can only be filled by God Himself. Let me tell you about another woman. Her name was Tracy Blackburn. I read her story in the book called Descending into Greatness. Descending into Greatness. She, at a relatively early age, was successful. She had joy and satisfaction. She had the very uh, trappings of success. She drove a BMW. She wore the most stylish clothes. She lived the lifestyle of the jet setter. The life was beyond her wildest dreams. It was a pretty wild one. A high-ranking executive with a leading investment company. She had the world at her fingertips. She says, I couldn't fathom life without all those wonderful, glorious perks that I had. She had power. She had respect. And yet it was all going to be taken away from her. Her blood pressure and her weight soared. Her power and her health slipped away. The American dream as she knew it began to learn, she began to learn was exceedingly costly. The pace, the pressure, the competition began to outrank the glorious perks. She met with a doctor and her doctor said, you must stop that job now. If you keep going like this, you will die. She quit her job. And in her emptiness, when she realised how far she had fallen, she cried out to God in prayer, God, I'm not sure if you are there, but God, if you are there, can you please meet me at my need? God met her at her need. In desperation, she called out to God. Friends, you don't call out to God until you're desperate, until you see your need. Jesus said, people who are healthy do not need a doctor, only those who are sick. He says, many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't think they needed a saviour. They thought they were okay. They followed the rules. They were religious. They went to their synagogues. They were good. Jesus had come for those who admitted they were empty. But Jesus continues, and uh, he doesn't let go of this woman. He has come. He was on a mission from God. He meets her. He goes deeper with her, exposes her spiritual emptiness. It's a bit, uh, I don't know, a bit rude. Maybe of Jesus, maybe it's a brash of Jesus. You might say, "Leave the woman alone." You might say, "Go call your husband and come back." When Jesus says that, he knows, doesn't he? He knows what his follow-up question will be. Go and call your husband and come back. And this woman's thinking, "What do I say now?" And she answers correctly. I have no husband. She thinks that might evade the conversation. Jesus comes back to her. You are right when you say you have no husband. She's listening in. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. What in the world do you do if Jesus says that to you? She's sitting there at the well. She just went to draw some water in the middle of the day by herself. And someone has exposed her brokenness. How does he know this? We're all good at diversions, aren't we? I will never forget Andy. Andy, maybe in his 40s, skinny, homeless, wearing dirty clothes, hunched over. Here's your picture of the homeless guy. Long beard growing, grey beard, long black hair, not black, grey hair. If you made a movie about a homeless guy, that's Andy. And I had taken a youth group of people your age from Springwood in the Blue Mountains to Terrigal on the Central Coast for a day out at the beach. And someone told me that this Andy was talking to all the teenage girls. And as the youth pastor, I had to go and save them, Right. So I went up and uh, I chatted to Andy. He was quite nice to them. He enjoyed the, the conversations with these young girls. And then I, I called him aside and said, Hi, Andy, I'm, uh, I'm Ange. I'm the youth pastor. Nice to meet you, Andy. And we got chatting and after a while he started to talk about how life was good and I said, Andy, and I stopped him. I said, Andy, are you happy? Oh, yeah, you know, I'm happy. You have a good life. I said, Andy, are you really Happy, on the beach, in Terrigal. Then he almost broke down. Look at me. I'm not happy. I don't have anything. I don't have many friends. I follow these girls around because they're nice and they're friendly and they're talking to me. My life's a mess. I said, Andy, do you know Jesus. Andy, do you have any Christian friends? He said, oh, I used to go to church from time to time and I know a pastor. I said, Andy, Jesus can make the difference for you. Why did you go and... I didn't know how long I would have with him. I said, Andy, try and make connections with you, with this pastor and this leader. Don't make diversions. Oh, I'm happy, I'm okay. You're not, Andy. Face the truth. Get the help that you need. This woman, is she now going to make a diversion? She says, sir, I can see you are a prophet. He's just told her everything about her life. She thinks, well, this is God. I I see you're a prophet. You know things about me. God has inspired you. And then she brings out a theological question Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. She may just want a good theological debate at this point, or maybe she's just avoiding her personal story, her personal situation. People do it all the time. You start to talk about Jesus. Oh, why are there so many denominations? Uh, why is there so much suffering in the world? They'll often just, when, you know, when they throw question after question without listening to an answer, they're just creating diversions. They don't want to face the truth. And then Jesus explains true worship. He drives at home. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when, all, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Three significant points here. Number one, the Jerusalem temple and the Mount Gerizim site will both be done away with as definitive places of worship. The Jewish temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, levelled, gone. Jesus is saying, don't worry about where you go to worship, what mountain you go to, that doesn't matter. And I say to you too, it doesn't matter what church you go to, what building you go to, how big it is, how small it is, don't worry about the place you go, because that's not the main thing. Second, salvation springs from the Jews. The Samaritans have got it wrong theologically. But then he says, the time is coming. It's already here in the coming of Jesus. Jesus says, look at me. The time is coming. It's now. This is the important time. We worship in spirit and in truth. Friends, it's not where you worship. It's who you worship and how you worship. In spirit, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. In the truth of the gospel, that Jesus God's son who died and rose again. We come to worship Jesus as that sign says the Messiah, the Saviour, in spirit and in truth, then Jesus finally discloses himself. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. It's quite impressive, really, from this outcast woman who has to draw water at the well in the middle of the day by herself because she doesn't have friends. That she knows that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You've been waiting for a Messiah? You're standing right next to him. The king, you're standing, Miss Samaritan woman, all alone, out in the desert, it's me. Because he is the Messiah who dies for us. The Bible says, for Christ died for sins, once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Whoever you are, the Messiah has come to bring salvation. And finally, Jesus transforms that woman and the crowd. Whatever has taken place, because we're not given the full conversation, this woman has now come to an appreciation that Jesus could be the Christ, the Messiah. And she now wants to tell everyone about him. I love that. New converts are the best evangelists, don't you think? When I got converted at the age of 15, as a great kid in marriage, I just wanted to tell everyone about Jesus. My friends who got converted, we're just telling everyone about Jesus. And if if you're 35, you become a Christian, you put Jesus first in your life, your friends are going to notice the difference. You talk differently, you think differently, you live differently, and think, well, what happened to them? I remember a friend years ago, he became uh, recommitted to Jesus at the age of 38 before he died of cancer. And all of a sudden, everyone was talking. Did you hear? John's given his life to Jesus. There's a Bible study happening at Nawee Baptist. The local Greek, Greek Orthodox school and church at, at Bankstown, friends of people all saying, well, have you heard of what's happening at Naui Baptist? The word got out and my brother came to me and said, man, everyone's talking about Nawee Baptist. <laughs> and people are getting saved. Because one key conversion can lead to great opportunities to tell other people about Jesus. And this woman, then leaving her water jar, she went back to the town and said to the people, come, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come with me. It's, there's urgency in this. We've been waiting for the Messiah. He's, come on, don't wait, don't sit in the town. There is good news for us. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with with them and he stayed two days. I love that. Jesus meets them. It's not a one-hour sermon or 30-minute sermon. We've done our 30 minutes. Can I go now? Two days. Forget the World Cup final afterwards. Imagine You've just met Jesus. Hang, tell us more about the Bible. Ange, forget the World Cup. Just keep talking about Jesus. Keep talking about the new life in Christ. And by the way, go and get your food and come back. Let's keep eating. Don't, you don't need much sleep tonight. And in the morning, 6 a.m., come back. Another day, all day, talking about the new, new life in Jesus. Two full days, they wouldn't let him go. Don't you love that? Jesus, don't go anywhere. And then they said, and because of his words, many more became believers. And I said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Got it. Jesus was on a mission from God. There was a woman on the margins that he draws in to himself. And through this woman, he draws in the whole town to himself. That's the Jesus we serve. You see, this woman has now seen Jesus, who is Messiah, who is saviour, who is the ultimate prophet. Let me tell you about another woman. Sydney McLaughlin was a 21 year old US hurdler who won Olympic gold in the 400 meters in Tokyo in 2021, running a world record time of 51.46. She was baptized in November 2020, shared this on Instagram. For 21 years, listen to this I was running from the greatest gift I could ever receive. I was running from it. And by his grace, I've been saved. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. My past has been made clean because of my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The empty woman running from Jesus, now having been found in Jesus. And after her win, she writes, It was an honour to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have I don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. Are you empty today? Serious question. Are you empty today? You peel the onion layer after layer, and it seems to be nothing there but tears. Jesus invites you to come. He invites you to come. Just say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, you are the only one who can fill my soul. Come to him. But are you a believer today? Now listen to these words of Jesus in the middle of this passage. My food, said Jesus, when they said, what food have you got, Jesus? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We have a message of eternal life. I love to hear how James is sharing that gospel in the schools in the Fairfield, Cabramatta area. And I remember when I went out there, I said to James this morning, when I go out there and hear the stories of students, that reminded me of my story. Growing up in religious cultures, but without a genuine Jesus, without a relationship with Jesus. Their stories are my stories. Once I was empty, now I've been filled because of Christ." Whoever you are, come back to him and get that message out. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. He was on a mission to transform the life of the Samaritan woman and her village. Lord, I do pray for your mercy and grace upon anyone who feels empty tonight. That they will come to you and find forgiveness and restoration Meaning and significance and purpose, friendship with you, and the promise of eternal life. Lord Sidney McLaughlin was running from you for 21 years. I pray for anyone who's running from you, for whatever reason, Lord, if they're running from you tonight, I pray that would stop running from you and run towards you. To stop diverting from the truth and start accepting the truth. Lord, do your work, we pray. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we go to communion tonight and remember his sufferings on our behalf, may we be drawn closer to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.